Welcome to part two of our series, Why I Believe in Biblical Prosperity. One of the ways the world sees as a means for acquiring wealth is through their job. Banks and car dealers will tell you that your job is your credit. Even the Bible says that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. But it didn't say couldn't. One of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. So, God wants to be our source. When you deny God's desire to prosper you, you put your job as your source and therefore above God. All throughout the Bible, and especially the New Testament writings of Paul, he talks about staying away from idols. We think of statues and gods that people bow to, but really, an idol is anything you put above God. The Bible describing the children of Israel, after they had entered the promised land and turned away from their God, the Bible describes them as it is written, they sat down to eat and got up to play. That describes most people's lives these days, even Christians. We have put the world system above God. We have put sports and entertainment above God. There are people who listen to music all throughout the day, but never open their Bible. But God said, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. Right there, we can see from what we've already discussed in part one, he's talking about faith. Faith was reckoned to or accounted to Abraham as righteousness. And it goes on to say it was not just written for their sake, but for ours as well. We are to follow his example of faith and it will be counted as righteousness to those that are in Christ Jesus. When Noah exited the ark, only one of his sons, Shem, stayed with him. Some believe he may have been the priest Melchizedek mentioned who administered communion to Abraham. Many of you may not realize that Abraham took communion after paying his tithe before either of those were instituted in the Bible. Whether Shem was Melchizedek, who was a shadow of Jesus, or it was Jesus himself, Shem was the only son who stayed with Noah and kept God's ways. His two brothers, in repopulating the world after the Great Flood, developed a system of trade and commerce, which later became known as the Babylonian system, upon which our modern financial system is based today. But God says to operate in his kingdom system, not the world's. He goes on to explain that the world has to seek out clothes and food and shelter, but that God's people will have all these things added to them if they follow God's kingdom way. When Jesus tells them not to seek after these things, the Greek shows us that he was telling us not to seek them so strenuously that they become a distraction. Nowhere in the Greek is the connotation, you cannot have nice things. In fact, the opposite should be presumed, because God himself will provide these things. I do not think God would provide anything to his children of inferior quality. When Jesus says these things will be added, the Greek again shows us the deeper meaning that these things will be put together for a purpose 
stressing the objective of increasing. The Bible says a thief should steal no more, but work with his hands so that he might have to give. So therein is the purpose of work. You don't work for a living. You work for a giving. I've noticed two types of people who don't believe in or teach biblical prosperity. The first is someone who grew up in some level of poverty. They develop a me-and-mine mentality, which directly contradicts our prior scripture. One should expect in life to make more than the needs of me and mine, and have left over to give. Many people in this position have never seen great prosperity, or have not seen it in people they consider somehow like themselves, their family, culture, or ethnicity. Therefore, when they surmise all the evidence, they may consider their circumstances too great for God, since in their own minds they cannot conceive of how it could be different for a person in their circumstance. This is a strong indication that the person may have never been taught the powerful promises God makes regarding prosperity in order to have the opportunity to develop and use their faith. The other person I see not believing in biblical prosperity is prosperous seemingly on their own. Many have worked hard through the world system and achieved some level of monetary success. However, to some, it has come at great cost. I know of a woman I knew years ago who told me she didn't like prosperity preachers, who tell people that everything should be good in their lives and they should be rich and healthy. This particular woman came from a poor blue-collar background, but now is married with beautiful, talented children, lives in a large home in an affluent area, works for one of the most successful businessmen in the region. Certainly, there is a significant level of what appears to be prosperity in her life. What I want to ask people such as this is, do you consider all that you've acquired to be sin? Certainly you believe in prosperity, and you are experiencing it. Even though you t attend church regularly, you do not think that all of the good things in your life come from God. You have chosen to believe the world system of acquiring wealth rather than submit yourself to God's kingdom ways to prosper even more. This is what Paul was talking about so many times in the New Testament, saying little children flee from idols. Whether this person knew it or not, she put the Babylonian system of finance on the altar of her life, setting aside God and his many promises. Join us for part three of this series, Why I Believe in Biblical Prosperity.